Hey, I'm Sachin. And I'm Adam. We interview the best leaders from around the world and unpack their failures, successes, and ideas they're passionate about. We do this because we think the best learnings in life don't come from a textbook. Rather, they come from open and personal conversations. Thanks for joining in and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Sachin and Adam show. Um, We've got a great guest today who is James Alexander. James actually went to UCID where we're filming this from right now and he started the Incubate program, which was the big um, and the first startup accelerator at the University of Sydney. And he's also started a venture capital firm um, called Galileo Ventures, which we're very excited to dig into um, and understand sort of how he started that and his journey upon starting that. But really excited to talk to James today. Yeah. And just before we hit record, we quickly told James how we actually came across him. So if you guys remember that funny app called Clubhouse, um, Adam and I both downloaded it. We were like, what is this? And we went on and the first person we heard was James and his co-founder talking about how they built this VC fund. And if you know one thing about me and Adam, you know that's what we're going to do in our lives. And it was the most tactical, best advice I've ever heard on how to raise a fund in Australia. And from that moment, we're like, we need to talk to this guy and we need to get him on the show. And that day has come, which is really exciting. And so James, we like to start off our episodes by kind of getting vulnerable with our guests. So is there an anecdote or story that you can share with us that kind of shows who you are as a person? Uh, yeah, I thought about I th- I've thought about this question. Um, thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here. I'm glad to hear that you found me on Clubhouse, uh, that interesting app that you know no one seems to less popular now. Maybe I don't know. It's changing. Um, but in terms of my antidote, in terms of like my background, I, I think um, something that comes to mind when I was thinking about this was when I was uh, really young. I was probably less than 10 years old. I'm actually, quite, I can't exactly remember how old I was, but maybe it was eight, I'm going to guess. Um, I remember I could, uh, I got really interested in electronics. So I'd, I'd pull stuff apart. So I'm a bit, of, I'm a technologist at heart. Um, and I would often pull stuff apart. So whether it's like a video player or like, you know, our TV actually, or whatever random things. Um, I ended up learning how to fix remote control cars. Like I had a fascination in remote control cars and and um, um, they would often break because you know you do crazy things as a kid with them. And then I thought, um, I remember telling my dad I pitched him my business idea, and it was um, I'm going to fix remote control cars because they often break, and I could easily fix them. Um, and he asked me how much would I charge for this service to the you know the kids on my street I was growing up on, and I said I don't know maybe like a dollar. Um, and I remember that cause he just, he just laughed so hard, <laughs> um, but I just remember that part cause, uh, you know, obviously to me at the time, I thought that was a lot of money. Uh, but equally, you know, my dad thought it was just quite funny. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's, that was probably one of my first business pitches ever. <laughs> it seems like you're very much a technologist at heart. So how did this yeah. sort of love and passion for technology and creation, how did that develop uh, throughout your sort of primary school and high school days? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. I think um, I was always naturally drawn to technology. I don't know if there was a particular event that really, you know, made it for me. I, I guess I like, I've always liked the, I always like thinking about the future and that probably comes down to a few different things, but 
um, ever since I was younger, I was always interested in, in like cars. I was interested in electronics. I was interested in how anything kind of worked. And then as I slowly got older and older, I kind of realized that I, I got, um, I mean, I still remember the first time I went on the internet, actually, it was on the web browser. I think it was Netscape. We had a dial-up modem, which is showing my age. Um, and I thought that was pretty amazing at the time. And, and I think, I think my love of technology moved away from like heart, like, like, like mechanical, which was cars. Cause I actually really like cars. I used to collect toy cars when I was really young towards, um, actual, what I call technologies, electronics and software, um, as I got older and older and older, but like in the screen scheme of things, like, um, cars are another, just an older form of technology. We're just used to it now, but like, you know, go back a few hundred years and that was definitely the most innovative thing you could be doing back then. Yeah. And that's really interesting. Um, that switch from hardware to software, I think mm -hmm. at a good time. And you've got to mention before that you studied a bachelor of computer science and you, as Adam said, you graduated from the university of Sydney. What was that kind of last year like of your degree when you're trying to find out what you wanted to do? Did you apply for grad jobs? What was the process kind of going through your head at that stage while you're at university? Yeah, so I, I landed in um, computer science, um, not by accident, but I nearly did an arts degree. So I'm really, I'm really happy that I didn't do an arts degree. I know most of you, your listeners are probably not arts degrees. Uh, students so so that's not going to offend too many of them but like I actually I did nearly... three so you're offending me <laughs> oh did you oh great well <laughs> you know economics so I've got a little bit of practicality yeah that's okay you're doing this as long as it's not just purely arts um, um but no I nearly did a it was like a digital media or something it was a really wishy-washy kind of degree and I thought it was sounding really interesting but then I ended up doing I ended up going really a bit more hard-nosed into tech which was computer science and I didn't really understand the implications at the time so I was kind of lucky that I chose that but but now that I know you know where um, computer science sits and how it's like almost central to, to the entire technology revolution that we're going through right now um, it became a pretty important degree for me to do even though I was nowhere near as what I'll call nerdy or as good a programmer or software engineer I should say as some of my good friends in high school um, so it was a real steep learning curve for me so that's that was like that was probably the first intersection because like you can end up in in technology you can end up in kind of a few different areas but like I ended up on the on the hard-nosed computer science space and then um, and then when I was sort of um, graduating uh, that, I, I ended up um, starting, again, doing something a bit weird, which is starting Incubate, which is the University of Sydney's uh, startup accelerator and incubator program. Um, and that was super fun. But before that point, before I started that, so as I was kind of in my degree, I actually did a few different jobs. Um, and one of the first proper technology jobs I got was, was working for a company, which everyone now knows called Atlassian. Um, and back then no one knew it and it hadn't raised any money. Uh, it was a lot smaller than it is now. Should have got uh, options. Super interesting. Sorry. <laughs> I said, you should have got options. <laughs> you know, uh, life, uh, man, it take, I, I say I have different. I like to think that in an, in another timeline, I have a different, I have very different lives. And in another timeline, I would have joined Atlassian as um, probably in their product teams, 
really early on. So that would have been really interesting. <laughs> I might've been financially much better off like right now, uh, for sure, maybe, but like equally, you know, that didn't happen. So I didn't choose to do that path. And then in another lifetime, I may have ended up in Google as well uh, because that was sort of another opportunity that pops up, you know, it's just funny as, as, as everyone, you know, who's at uni will, will realize some of the decisions they make will end up different places. So it's, so it's nice to reflect on, but equally, you know, I'm very happy with where I've landed right now. <laughs> so did you start Incubate when you finished your university degree? Yeah, I did. It was really weird. You don't usually start a startup incubator when you finish university. It's just, it's not the type, it's not the typical path. And that's probably because, well, A, you don't have the business experience you'd probably want from someone who should start an incubator, but B, um, you don't usually have the connections um, to bring, you know, the, the, the network and the entrepreneurs together all the resourcing. So, so it was a bit weird, but the, basically the way it came about is, is the opportunity came about because um, I was already involved in a few different startups. As I, as I mentioned before, like I joined Atlassian when I was still an undergrad, I joined a few other startups when I was an undergrad, it's kind of just to help out here and there. Um, some of them weren't, aren't around anymore. Um, and, and basically as I ended up finishing uni, I kind of realized there was this really big problem. So I, I didn't do it because I wanted to like launch startups. I did it because I just saw there was a really big problem. I had all these friends that were like entrepreneurs at uni starting companies. They weren't getting any support by anyone. In fact, I often say they were getting anti-support. So they'll be actively told by like lecturers and tutors to stop doing this and just go work for Combank. And like, I thought that was just like super, I just thought that was crazy. I was like, why, how would you, why would you convince someone who's like young, got nothing to lose, who's working on a technology company to go like work for Combank, you know? Um, and I was like, well, what, what if we can do, what, how can we support these students? And so that's kind of where the genesis came from. And my, um, I actually, I actually wrote an article in, in the student newspaper at, at City University, which is um, called Honiswa. And, um, and that gained a lot of attention. And then that actually started talking to people. And then one thing led to another, I ended up pitching the student union at UCID to go, hey, what about we trial this program, which is essentially what Incubate became. Um, and fun fact, the guy that helped me uh, write that proposal and pitch now runs his own startup as well and is doing really well. They've raised, you know, I think they've raised like 20 million bucks now and they're global and so super interesting too. So he was also very entrepreneurial, um, but, it, but it was just really, the, the genesis was just solving a problem, which is like, why don't we support students to become entrepreneurs? Yeah, and just for context, um, the startups in Incubate, you've launched over a hundred, they've raised over $35 million and currently worth 60 million plus, which is pretty crazy. And in that time, I'm sure you've seen a lot of founders, a lot of failures, a lot of successes. Is there any yeah. kind of key takeaways or characteristics you've noticed in successful founders during your time at Incubate? Yeah, um, yeah, I've got this, I guess question quite a bit actually. Um, are there any certain characteristics? Um, the, 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 the main thing that I've noticed is that um, it's almost always impossible to predict the background of the entrepreneurs that we've supported over the years. So, so I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm really lucky because we did this incubate program, which is like, you know, helping students and researchers with an idea, turn it into a real business. So that first six months of their business of their startup journey, 
like I did that a lot for seven years. And so I really started to get an insight into how people turn things from ideas to actual action. And like the one thing that always astounded me was just how different everyone was um, and how they were able to achieve a lot more than they ever thought they could. And so everyone always underestimates themselves. And this is kind of where I landed on, on um, how I talk about it now, which is I actually don't think entrepreneurship is like some static thing. It's like a lot of, a lot of young people think of it as like, I'm either an entrepreneur or I'm not. I actually think that's, that's not a true at all. It, the way to think about it is you become an entrepreneur uh, when you want to do something and build something um, in, in, in kind of your vision you know, for yourself, right? And, and, and in doing that, you sort of transform. So I actually think of entrepreneurship much more as a transform, transformative thing that everyone can go through. Um, and, and that's what I saw time and time again, every time I helped um, these students. And so, so, so from that perspective, like there is no like set background or there's no set like characteristics you need. I actually think all of that's kind of like BS. Um, um, but um, some of the things that I noticed um, will make you different types of entrepreneurs. And so there are different types of entrepreneurs out there who start very different types of businesses. And that's, that's probably the best way to kind of think about that part. That's really interesting. And obviously, when you're co-founding Incubate, um, that was that was like you being an entrepreneur. You had to sort of scale up a business. You identified yeah. a problem um, and execute on that. And I'm wondering, what were some of the challenges of trying to scale this organization? And I'm sort of saying that, um, keeping in mind that it was within a university context, which always sort of might place constraints on you um, or it might sort of add yeah. a bureaucratic layer. So how yeah. did you deal with that? Um, and sort of what did you do to sort of overcome that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, there was a few things. <laughs> we learned really quickly. I had to learn, I had, to, I had a crash course in a how to deal with uh, university politics, um, which is actually really interesting as in sort of semi-independent group within an ecosystem, which is so Incubate was essentially um, backed by the student union, which was an independent, legally independent group from the main university. Um, and that was that you had to navigate a whole bunch of politics with that, which is just nuts. Um, we also had to uh, work out where to get funding from because there wasn't enough money initially um at all in fact the first grants we gave out so so the way it works is we give five thousand dollar like incubate used to give five thousand dollar grant to you an idea so if you've got a cool idea you could apply would give you 5k grant support you that grant money came from um leftover budget from an arts project so they didn't actually spend all the money on funding art students to do artistic stuff which let's face it a lot of those art projects were kind of dumb anyway um yeah, you're bagging out art students but they're the ones that gave you the money <laughs> well they didn't take the money so it was leftover money really oh. so 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 we took that and said hey why don't we instead of getting arts used to do art projects let's do you know let's use that money to actually help students do something that will help them in their career and maybe you know help everyone else as well um not that i hate art projects or anything like that it's just you know there was just this leftover money and we're like well let's do something productive with it um, and then we had to get sponsorship too. And so, so we really had to work out how to fund this uh, on, a, on a shoestring budget. And there was like virtually no money in it. Um, and, and that was a really interesting journey. And so the best way I think about that is, is 
I learned over those kind of like period, like a couple of things. And one of the big things was how to, um, how to build something within a, an existing kind of ecosystem. Um, and that's basically what universities are like. They're like a big enterprise. And in some ways, um, when you're doing something totally new that they've never done before, it can be really, really shocking. And like, it has, a, it brings a whole world of pain, but equally like there's certain structures you need to have. And we kind of by accident landed on a really good structure, which was like, we were semi-independent, but we still got the benefit of like kind of that ecosystem. And then the other part was actually just understanding all the problems with entrepreneurship in, in, in a university context. And that, and, and it turns out those problems are global. Um, and when, so we started one of the first accelerated programs and that was like, great. Um, and then that, that wave hit the rest of the world in Australia. And now every university has an entrepreneurship program too. And so, so we were just really at the beginning of a wave and, and to this day, it's still changing universities. And, and I think universities really don't know how to react to some of this stuff. And so, so there's a really interesting um, tension that's building up in terms of like, you know, um, students that want to become entrepreneurs versus students that just want to get a job. James, I have to ask, in your eight years with Incubate, what was your favorite company you've come across? Uh, um, you can't say a favorite. <laughs> um, I had, there were some really, really good ones. So, so, so different for different reasons. Um, so a couple that I'll sort of just mention out there, um, there's a company out there uh, which did underwater robotics um, called Abyss Solutions. Uh, they've actually raised a decent Series A recently from Airtree, which is a big venture fund in Sydney. Um, they do amazing stuff. And, and that was because I had a, a coffee with one of the researchers um, who's, a, who's a roboticist doing research. And he's like, hey, we're doing this stuff for the um, Great Barrier Reef, right? Because they're doing restoration work and they had to survey it and you had to do all this autonomous surveying because you can't obviously send a diver in there. It doesn't, you know, they'll take too long. And he's like, I think I can apply this in different industries. And that was the genesis of this company. You know, they've now got what, 50 people globally, 50 oh. to 60 people globally, uh, expanding really fast, customers all around the world. Um, do you, have you guys heard of Hoover Dam? Yeah. Yeah. They're the customer of this company. Wow. Uh, they work with really big, it's what they call industrial assets. And it's a really interesting space because it's not a space you see as a consumer, but it's a space where robots really help because you're actually stopping humans from doing really dangerous work. And that's actually one of the best places robots can be applied for. So that's really cool. Um, another company that I helped out of Incubate was a flying taxi company um that they've raised a bunch of money and the coolest thing about them is there's actually a lot of people don't know this but there's a global race right now uh between about eight to ten companies to build the world's first production ready uh, flying taxi um uh and one of them is in sydney uh they're fairly low-key and low radar there has been a little bit of press about them here and there but um they're doing really really well and again that was because uh one of the um lecturers um, and their students um, came up with an amazing design for the aircraft because actually it's just a different type of aircraft. And so, so that was really cool. Um, and then another company which uh, was really recently in the news is a company started by, again, um, a, a, a postgrad student. Um, he was, you know, not at all, didn't consider himself at all an entrepreneur, um, but was a, um, a sci, um, psychologist. And he was, he's some of his research and his work was like, how do I do this stuff at a scale? Because usually psychologist is one-on-one -on -one. and he's like, what can I do at scale? And, 
And that's when he looked into internet delivered treatment and then it led him to start a company which was called Uprise. And basically he just worked out a way to deliver mindfulness to corporates because corporates have that problem. And, and he recently just sold that company as well, actually. So, so an Ameri- a big American global health company just bought their company, which is pretty cool. So that was announced recently too. So, so you know, that was a, just a few, but again, there's 120 of them out of my time at Incubate. And we did this across five campuses. <laughs> so, so <laughs> there's a lot of them. <laughs> and those are some fascinating companies. Oh, yeah. yeah, flying taxis, <laughs> love that. Um, so we're definitely- The can- cool thing about the flying taxis one is if they're successful, you will see them in Australia um, flying in the skies. Um, so that's pretty cool. And so maybe like that, in another 10 years, we'll, we'll kind of get there. And if we do, uh, I'll be able to go like, hey, that's company. I, I helped them from day zero. <laughs> Look, I still think the funding would have been better um, used for the art project. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has its place. It has its place. Art projects have its place. They're used for different things. But like, I think the main thing is, you know, University of Sydney and, and a lot of universities traditionally are humanities based universities. And and um, and um, they really struggle when it comes to working out um, what students should do and how they should make their own way. And you can even talk to art students, you know, because the best artists are business owners. They run their own business and that's their art. And um, and they, they even struggle to teach art students how to do that. Right. And so it's it's this uniformly thing. It's always a struggle. Mm. And sort of as a bolt-on question to that, obviously you saw a lot of companies and a lot of different problem spaces. Over your sort of eight or so years while you're at Incubate, did you start to develop any passion towards any particular problem spaces or sort of see any areas of innovation that you felt that were particularly important? Yeah, yeah. So so, so that's a good question. Um, I did. And the, the area with that I really got um very um i guess uh interested in was um education and entrepreneurship and so in specifically how do you turn people from you know a non-entrepreneur to an actual entrepreneur and um and 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 more specifically how do we do this for first-time entrepreneurs so so a lot of people in in investment um their, their, their goal is to just invest in the next big billion dollar business or the next big you know opportunity and that's that's really really different because that's essentially presuming that um, y- y- your opportunities are existing entrepreneurs that that already are in market I'm much more interested in how do we create new entrepreneurs that are not in market um, and because if you can do that um, at any sort of scale uh, from a financial perspective, it's way more lucrative because you actually are unearthing opportunities that no one else can see. And that's, that, that's exactly what we're doing at Galileo. Um, but also from a societal perspective, it makes a huge impact because it's not about taking the 0.01% of people that are entrepreneurs and going, how do we like help all these people? It's like, no, how do we actually turn 10% of students into entrepreneurs rather than 0.1%, right? And so that's like, and that that's a sea change, and that will have a monumental impact on on how we structure society. So 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 that's kind of like the the broad theme that I really got interested in, and that led led me to start Galileo. Mm, awesome. Why um why do you want more students to transition to entrepreneurship? Um, that's a good question. So I think it's it's a case of what do we think um how do we get students to create value? Um, 
And what I mean by that is um, students are very creative. Uh, well, humans, we're humans. Humans are very, very creative, but a lot of people never have the opportunity to kind of fully realize that creativity in some way. And, and um, when it comes down to, especially students, especially that early stage of their life, um, the ability for them to be creative and to take risk is the highest they'll ever be in their lifetime. Um, however, paradoxically, they have the least amount of resources <laughs> as well. So, so it's quite an interesting situation to land in. And so my view is that we should do absolutely everything to encourage them to be far more risk-taking and to use that creativity to actually do something useful and create value. And that's why. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone um, um, needs to start a business necessarily. That's not, that's not necessarily the goal. But um, I gave a, a, a talk once where, where I, I sort of said in the future, everyone becomes an entrepreneur and I still believe that. So what I do actually think will happen in the future is we actually, each individual person is, is sort of the entrepreneur of their own life. Yeah. And that can mean lots of different things. And, and we already have some analogies like that, but I think that will get more and more um, accentuated and obvious um, as technology keeps on getting more and more powerful including AI and including cryptocurrencies and things like that. Well, we've been hearing that a lot on the podcast, this kind of decentralization of people's brands, um, mm -hmm. everyone kind of having their own brand and their own kind of side hustle or something that represents them. And that's the thing we've been hearing over and over. Um, love to dive into Galileo now. And my first question is why the name Galileo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why a dead Italian man? <laughs> um, it sounds cool. Um, I'm wondering if there's any metaphorical meaning. There is, yeah. So, so the main, the main, so, so the main reason is um, Galileo is one of the earliest pioneers and one of the um, best examples of of a scientist, um, as well as an engineer. And he um, a pioneered some of the earliest sort of versions of the scientific method. B, he was an amazing thinker um, and he's also a philosopher, but C, he also developed his own technology. And the important thing for us was he developed his own technology that allowed him to see stuff no one else could see. And in this case, it was the way the planets revolve um, around the sun. Um, um, now at the time, you know, we had a very conservative uh, organization called the church, which was not happy with this heretic heretical views. Um, um, but that's that still exists today. Uh, it's often government or regulators or whatever you want to call them. Um, there's still conservative, you know, people out there that that don't like new technology. Um, but the core thing for us is that he developed his own technology that allowed him to see something no one else could see, and that's that's the genesis of Galileo and why we focus on emerging founders because that's exactly what they do. They use technology and they develop something that they can see the opportunity no one else can see. Um, and those are the type of people we like to back and invest in. Love that. Yeah, that's a great inspiration for it. And can you tell <laughs> us a little bit about the journey towards starting a VC? Because we read the AFR article that it sure. did take a couple of years um, to get the funding initially for it. So I'd love to hear a bit about the process of doing that um, and sort of what were some of the ideas along the way that really inspired you um, to want to start 
this specific type of venture firm because we know that it does have a couple peculiarities around it in terms sure. of it's sort of an accelerator and it's got a specific check size as well. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so why, so, so why start a VC? Um, I looked long and hard at all types of business models that enable you to support entrepreneurs and um, the only thing that has real like track record uh, in terms of like historical track record is, is venture capital actually. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that when your actual business is, is, is supporting entrepreneurs, it's not something else you do and the entrepreneurs just happen to be there on the side. It's like, no, 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 there's only one thing you do. And so, so that's why VC fund and like we can dive into sort of the mechanics of that, but it's a really, really interesting business model and incentives that mean that you um, are aligned with the entrepreneurs over a over a, a long long time horizon to see something come to fruition and then you get rewarded for that. So this is this is really intriguing structure. Anyway, so there's that part. Um, in terms of um, the structure of Galileo, that was very much inspired again by kind of my insight from the seven years running Incubate. And so those seven years meant that I saw stuff that, again, most people who start VC funds don't see. Um, why? Because most people that start VC funds are rich, rich old white guys, to be blunt, and like successful rich old white guys, no doubt. Uh, and some of them are great. Some of them are amazing entrepreneurs. Some of them are great at finance and some of them come from rich families, right? Um, but those perspectives bring totally different views and different approaches. And so, you know, um, I'm really big on uh, encouraging and 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 um, supporting other um, what I'll call emerging venture capital uh, managers, um, and that's that's there's a bit of a movement on that stuff now. But like equally, um, um, starting a fund is not is not easy either. It's 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 designed it's not designed not to be easy, but also just the, you know there's a lot of barriers to venture. It's it's one of those really interesting spaces that um, it, it makes it really tough. <laughs> it's just hard. <laughs> it's really hard. So, so that three years while you were raising your starting fund, what was that like? Yeah. I imagine you had a pretty good network already from Incubate. You probably did know a few LPs um, and, and investors in the space. Um, so, so what was that three-year period like? Yeah, it was, really, it was a real slog. It's, it sucked. Um, mostly because... Um, neither myself or my co-founder Hugh have a background in finance. And so we really didn't know who are the right types of, you call them LPs. A lot of people won't know that, but like, you know, limited partners, who are the right types of investors that invest into funds. So we didn't even know that. So, so that was a huge education process for us is to like work out who these people are. You know, when I started this, I was super naive. I thought like it was just a rich person. And then I kind of, then you kind of realize actually it's not true at all. There's all sorts of different types of people and, and there's all sorts of different types of institutions and, and things like that. And so, um, and then, and then you got to understand the motivations. And then after you can kind of get those sense, you got to then sell them on your, what we call a thesis of your fund, right? So what, what you think uh, will net them great investment returns and why. And so, so it's really interesting. And, and above all that, when you invest in a VC fund, you have no control like by design over what we invest in, right? And so, so, so you're basically like we were, when we kicked this off, we were sort of late 20s, well, mid to late 20s. 
basically a couple of 20 somethings come up to you and be like, Hey, give us your money and we're going to invest it in students. And you can kind of, that's essentially what our pitch was. And you can kind of imagine most rich people are like, go away. <laughs> that sounds like an awful idea. And still a lot of people, most people still think it sounds like an awful idea. Um, and so, uh, so it's really interesting. So you, so you under, you get to learn what people really think, but you also understand why, like the system is so broken when it comes to funding young entrepreneurs as well, because there's a lot of preconditioned thought, um, um, thinking and a lot of, um, um, incorrect kind of like views on, on how this should all work. And so, so it was, a, it was a huge learning curve for us. Um, and it, it was it was really tough. And, and so uh, my, my general advice now is, is don't start a VC fund, go work for one and then go from there. Um, but equally, if you are going to start one, you need a real strong thesis and um, it takes a long time to get that first fund up. So, so you just got to be super persistent. Yeah, sounds like a really tough process. Um, and you've sort of mentioned your thesis a little bit about sort of inspiring the next generation of young entrepreneurs and um, getting people to sort of go to alternative career paths. But I'd love to hear a bit more about some elements of your thesis. So what are, are the particular areas um, and the problem spaces which Galileo is really focusing on? Um, yeah. Are you sort of an industry agnostic venture fund or are there a couple of problems that you're really trying to target? Yeah, that's a really good que uh, question. So we're industry agnostic. So, so again, this is kind of one of our weird quirks. We don't really care about what industry you're in or, or um, whether it's hardware or software. The one thing we care about is, is um, um, what type of entrepreneur you are. And so the people we focus on are what we call emerging founders, basically first-time entrepreneurs. And that's because we think first-time entrepreneurs is where we can make a huge difference but also where a lot of our talent lies and our, and our background, our experience lies in helping these types of entrepreneurs, um, you know, get going. And so, um, so there's that part, but also because we think these types of entrepreneurs are the ones that actually produce game changing um, companies that actually have a massive impact um, globally. And, and there's a few reasons for that too. And so, so we focus a lot on emerging founders and um, mostly because they're unproven. Um, they're usually working on something a bit crazy um, they're usually too early for VCs, uh, I mean, normal investors, um, but, but we think that's a great opportunity. <laughs> it's all the stuff that no one wants to invest in and, at an early stage. <laughs> do you only um, fund technical founders generally? Uh, so everything we fund is technology is, is, is a, is a technology company. Yeah. Yeah. Has to be, has to be, has to use, has to use technology. It's just like, if it's not using new technology, don't even like, it's not, it's like, that's just not for us. It's not, it's not what we are interested in. And so that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be building a next generation AI deep tech kind of like tech, right? It just means they have to be a technology company and technology enabled. And so it, it means different things in different industry environments. Like for consumers, that could just simply mean you have, you know, a custom kind of like, you know, uh, online um, web app. Um, but in enterprise, that could mean AI, which is what we've invested in already in AI business as well. So yeah, so 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 it has to be technology based, but it has to be a business that um, is potentially a high growth business. So something that can grow very big. 
And so you mentioned that you invest in first-time founders, uh, but I've seen a little bit of research around that says that people that have been entrepreneurs before and had a decent exit, they have a very, very high chance of the sort of yep. second or third time of starting companies. Yep. Obviously, yep. they've seen the landscape, they've experienced it. What are the yep. particular benefits that a first-time entrepreneur might have over someone that's done it a number of times? Yeah. So there's a couple of complete myths out there that keep getting circulated around. And one of them is, oh, over 45-year-old entrepreneurs are the best type of entrepreneurs. Uh, that's a lie. Uh, the people that perpetuate that typically are people that are older who have jobs that they hate and they think this is you know something that they can cling on to. And so, so I discount all of that. Don't worry about that. Um, um, yes, um, if you've done it before, that's great. And you bring a different perspective and all that experience can de-risk you. But, but that's, again, it depends on what you're looking for. So I'll push that aside. The other, the other myth that keeps going around is that I think it's like the classic one is like one in 10 businesses, you know, do survive um, um, and everything else fails. That's also a myth. Uh, when I was at Incubate, that's actually not what we saw. It was more like 40% of the businesses survived. Um, they were, became great small businesses and the founders had a great lifestyle out of that and made great income and opened up a whole bunch of opportunities for themselves. And so, so the other thing I'll also notice if you are going to have a go, it's, it's not, it's not like you're going to fail or nothing at all. It's actually the business has just become something a bit different when you actually get going and work out how to do it all. So, so those two things, so those two things keep in mind. Why we go after first-time founders is because we believe as a fund that segment is this, the right segment for us to focus on because they're the ones that have the, um, I guess you could say ideas or the ambition to really introduce stuff that that is what am I call game changing, but like they have the stuff, they have the ideas and and the um, ambition to really change entire markets and 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 introduce things. And the reason why they can do that is because once you're an expert in a, in a field and like once you know how how like a business and industry works really well, you bring something very different to it when when you start a business in that space. First time entrepreneurs, typically, they don't know necessarily how the industry works um, in, in the sense that they are, it's almost like you're arrogant enough to wanting to come in and change it because you don't quite appreciate how it's currently or, or, or you don't care how it's currently done. And so that's why we go after first time entrepreneurs because there's that sort of um, um, arrogance piece. It's not really arrogance, it's almost like ignorance piece where it's like, well, we don't really care how it's done, but we're going to completely change it. Um, and, 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 and that's what I think is the most high impact types of entrepreneurs. And that's why we focus on that kind of area. Um, again, it, it's not for everyone, not, not all investors care that much, you know, um, but we at Galileo, we really do care. And, and, and this is why we like new entrepreneurs. Yeah. Well, you sold me on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, well, you can just I'll... think, I mean, you can just look at what are the biggest technology companies, you know, around, like it's not people that have started and sold and exited technology companies that many times. It's almost always first-time founders. I think, I don't, I mean, I can't, there's probably a few different things here, but like these are the ones that are really just exceptional companies that completely change everything in it. And this is where people get really confused. Like people just think about stuff in this kind of way, which is like there's success and there's no success. And like, that's so dumb. That's not true at all. There's like success is like a whole spectrum. But like, if you want to just pick up the, the very pointy end, which is exceptional once in a generation companies, it's almost always, I would argue, uh, first-time founders. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. Think about people like Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, um, sort of 
Elon Musk, who else are we thinking of? Yeah. A lot of them first time founders. Hopefully we can procure you some deal flow from this podcast. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I hope so. Our, I hope someone reaches out and says I heard it and pitches us. That'd be great. Um, a bit a bit of a kind of follow-on question. Obviously, as a VC, you're in like the hot seat of global trends. Like you're seeing companies that are creating our future. And you have almost like a quasi glass ball or you'd like mm-hmm. to think so. What are some of the trends that you're seeing um, play out over the next 10 years? Um, yeah, interesting question. So do you mean like um, from yeah. a, I guess, okay, from a student perspective listening, right? Um, because I guess, I guess, I guess there's a few different ways to answer that. But like from... From if I'm a student sitting there and I'm thinking like what are the interesting trends that are that are playing out? I think um, there's a few broad themes that are that are super interesting. So one is um, uh, we're not we're not done with with um, with software. So software is is still um, still making an impact everywhere. Um, it's still changing how we think about industries and will continue to change a lot of old industries where it previously was never there, but now it's changing, you know, now it's, now it's having a big impact. So, so I think, I think, I think software train is still got a while to go. Um, I think um, software mixed with other things. So software um, and hardware, um, software and life sciences or biotechnology um, software and um I guess you wouldn't really call artificial intelligence not software, but in some ways, I think of AI as different to normal software because it's it's not actually it's not it's not it's statistical. It's not really like hard coded, and so so software is mostly hard coded when I when I kind of referring to software here. Um, but like, but like it's 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 that's got a long way to go. So I I don't think um, that that trend is done, and I think I think really the the interesting opportunities are gonna be in the non-technology kind of industries or the non-previously kind of considered technology industries. Um, obviously, there's also AI. Um, artificial intelligence is, is huge. That means a lot of different things to different people. But like um, that space has got a long, long way to go. Um, and those impacts, again, are really hard to say. But what I would say in that space is it's much less about the job destruction um, narrative that often gets dished around it's it's not about that that's not where the opportunities are um for me ai is about the way it enables you to do things that we just cannot do otherwise and so so that's where it's really interesting where it complements existing human behavior is super interesting and so that's 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 got that that's we're not we're just touching on that now you know we're really only just touching on that now and so that's really intriguing um i think depending on how far forward you want to go um life sciences and biotechnology is amazing um not really my expertise but like for some of the students who are in that space like incredible you got a lot of opportunities um and then i would also say could also say cryptocurrencies as well but like i'll kind of put that into financial uh innovation and well it's not really financial but it it is kind of it's kind of interesting too um, that's kind of that's kind of like an infrastructure across a lot of different areas. I wouldn't necessarily kind of call that as like a one trend, right? Um, and then, um, yeah, that's kind of the main areas there. Oh, quantum, that's the one I'm thinking of. Uh, and then really far off is quantum computing. 
which will redefine everything um, for us in a lot of different ways. But like, again, that's super early. It's, it's in the research phase, but like, if you get, if you want to get into something like, like that, that's amazing. I've got quite a few friends in that space. So. Awesome. Those are some fascinating trends. I think that's something that me and Sachin are constantly trying to look for and understand because we're sort of doing our equity investments and thinking about what's going to be the next wave of big companies. So we're constantly trying to hone down what those next big trends are going to be. Do you have anything else you want to ask before we get onto the quick fire? Nah, I'm getting for these ones. Cool. So our quick fire cool. round, um, we're going to ask you a question. Um, you have around 30 to 40 seconds um, to answer them. Are you awesome. ready for that? Yeah, I'm ready. Go take it away. Cool. What's one of your favorite books and why? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. So, um, oh my God, I have so many books to choose from. I'm looking at my book list right now. Um, uh, I'm going to say for this podcast, I will say The Black Swan by uh, Nassim Taleb. Um, it's a really interesting book. I mean, I guess if you're in finance, you probably heard of it. Have you guys heard of Black Swan? Yeah. 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 Oh, damn, I was hoping you might have heard of it. Um, so that's my that's my sort of obvious choice. But if you haven't read it, um, I encourage you to read it. I actually think you should read it if you're not from finance. I actually think finance people um, interpret it the wrong way around. But but um, but have a read. It's really interesting. Um, um, and my second, I'll, I'm going to choose a second favorite. The second favorite uh, from recent memory is a book called The Beginning of Infinity by David Deutsch. Um, have either of you heard that one? No. no. Okay, cool. That's philosophy mixed with science, mixed with technology. And it's really interesting because it's about how to think about. So, so a lot of, a lot of people don't realize like it's, it's, it's not just the fact that we have more technology. It's the fact that we literally, we behave differently now because the technology has enabled us to think about knowledge in a really different way. Um, and that's like the insight there is, is philosophical, but it, it, it has very far reaching ramifications. And so he kind of explores that. Actually, the book is really just a primer into quantum mechanics um, in not with no formulas at all. It's great. Good book. Interesting book. A bit of light reading. Definitely going <laughs> to yeah. that one. Yeah. Second question. What's a favorite podcast of yours and why? Um, I listen to lots of different podcasts, but the ones that I really like um, are, uh, for Australia, I would have a listen to innovation-based podcasts. I think they do a really good job. Um, uh, and uh, there's also um, a Square Pegs Founder podcast. So there's two Aussie ones. Um, but the ones I used to, I, I used to religiously listen to not as much anymore because I, I don't, I kind of kind of changed their theme a bit, but um, A16Z's technology podcast is just a really great kind of like getting into the middle of like what Silicon Valley is thinking. Um, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of become a bit more broader now, which annoys me, but like, nonetheless, if and you're in for something, it. yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's still, it's still a great insight into what a lot of great people are thinking about at kind of like the forefront of tech, which is, you know, Silicon Valley. Awesome. Who's an inspirational figure that you look up to that you've never met? That I never met. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, Galileo. Galileo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll answer that one. I, I really would love to meet. Um, although he's been he's been in the news for um, um, his divorce, but I would really love to meet Bill Gates. I think he's in a. Um, I know people that know him. 
um, that I've worked with him. Very lucky for them, but but he's just one of those um, few people in history that have had the vantage points he's had, and he's he's he's, he's genuinely very smart and and has done some really amazing stuff for for humanity, irrespective of um, you know some of the stuff that's going around now. And yeah, people get divorced as well. So, but but he was someone I would love to meet as well. So. Good answer. Last question. What's one of your favorite hobbies outside of work? Uh, uh, collecting music and DJing. Oh, cool. What kind of music do you DJ? Please tell me it's techno. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. So I like electronic music. I like house. I like techno. Um, when I DJ, I tend to DJ that, but I, I DJ any, like, you know, across all sorts of genres. Uh, but when I collect music, it's all genres. I don't, I don't just focus on electronic stuff. The, but the clubs um, and yeah. No, 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 no. It's all, it's all, all hobby, all hobby. Okay. Um, in another life, I would have ended up in DJing world <laughs> and, and EDM and all that stuff in another life. But not I, I life. feel like a lot of VCs actually would have liked techno. Yeah. We found that like a fair Probably. Like, it's, it's, it's not, it's not an, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. It's a coincidence um, insofar that um, um, I think you have a nat for VCs or for technologists, you have a natural love of stuff that's new and and undefined and not necessarily fully accepted. And for a while that was electronic music and house music. Of course now, like if you're like your your age, early 20s, it's like actually just becoming another form of pop music, uh, which is fine. I'm I'm all for this, but it just means for me, I'm like, crap, what does that mean? I'm getting old. That means like what is that next genre gonna be, which isn't just, you know, house music, because house music at one point was like really innovative. <laughs> um James, one last question. If you could leave one thing, our audience of 20 somethings that want to have a big impact in their lives, what would that be? Um, if I could leave them with one thing, that's not obvious. You can leave it, it can be whatever you want. <laughs> Sometimes um, the best advice is in cliches. So happy for a cliche, if that's where you, where you want to go. Um, uh, don't do the normal thing. That's my advice. Love cool. It. Good way to end it. Well, thank you very much for the episode, Mr. Galileo. We appreciate talking to you. It's very fascinating. Thanks for having me on. It's been lots of fun. I've enjoyed it. Hopefully we'll get some pictures from some students that have listened to this. I look forward to that. We'll so if you're it. listening, pitch me and say, hey, I listened to you on the podcast. I'm all, I'm all ears. I'd love to hear it. Awesome. Use code Sachin and Adam to get 10% off your raise, but we'll talk about it later. <laughs> all right. Thanks, mate.